from the dawn of time we came, moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you, until now. Hello and welcome to the My Fair Film Podcast with me, your host, Gav Smith. We are coming towards the end of Series 1. And this is a very special episode. Very special because my guest today is me. Which means that I have two special guest hosts. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But first off, the normal contact information. If you want to get in touch with me here at the podcast, best way is by email. It's myfavoritefilmpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at my favorite film on instagram it's at my favorite film podcast on facebook if you just search up my favorite film i'm sure you will find the my favorite film page and the community group as well and if you want those links from a much easier source we now have a website go over to www.myfavoritefilm.com all links to all the previous episodes and all the ways of contacting me are there if you want to support the podcast the best way of doing it is to hop on over to apple podcasts Leave a five-star rating and review over there. Or go on to Spotify, and there's a rating button there as well. Those five-star ratings and reviews are what helps this podcast get found by other podcast listeners. So, this is the end of Series 1. And at the end of Series 1, this is the final interview of that series. And as that interview is going to be with me about my favourite film, I was lucky enough to get Matt and James from the Journey Through Sci-Fi podcast to come along and to interview me about my favourite film, which is Highlander. Here is my spoiler-filled chat with Matt and James. I hope you enjoy. Well, here we are, born to be kings. We're the princes of the universe. My name's Matt. My name's James. Uh, we're the hosts of Journey Through Sci-Fi. And Gav, welcome to your own podcast. Yeah, that's really weird. You've introduced me <laughs> on my podcast. <laughs> I don't know how to think about that now. Right. Uh, Something okay. a bit different, isn't it? It's but obviously we've got, a, we've got a very good reason for doing that. Uh, we're, we're joining you here today to talk about your favourite film yeah. on your podcast own podcast highlander yeah. right yeah awesome film <laughs> it's uh i had a i had a good time re-watching this oh. i'm a big fan of this film we touched on this i can't remember if it was actually on your episode when we came on or if it was just no, us chatting after I think recording we, chat, we chatted after recording a bit about yeah. what my favorite film was and then we kind of said yeah we all, we all liked it so it seemed like a, a good idea to get you in to talk about it so yeah big fans on our sides but not sci-fi Really? So we don't have much of an opportunity to talk about it on our own show? Yeah. Not sci-fi yet get, it, in this series, yeah. but we'll Not, get to yeah. that later. One, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is very much like a fantasy action-adventure film, it isn't is. it? This first yeah. one, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it's a so, whole lot of fun. But what is this film about, Gav? Like, what is the plot of Highlander? Because you hear that name and you just, you just don't know, do you? It's like, what is this film about? I think you've got to paraphrase um, Mr. Connery from his start, haven't you? You know, from the dawn of time they came, moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, 
struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remained would do battle to the last, and no one knew there among you until now. There you go. That's the paraphrase. Is, it, the is that just totally from memory? That, that's from memory, yeah. <laughs> that just shows how much you love this film, doesn't it? How many yeah. times do you think you've seen this? Oh, God. <laughs> More times than I care to even think about. Yeah, I, I, um, I think I wore out my VHS a bit back in the day when I had a VHS. I had to buy it in DVD and then so on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've seen it a lot. <laughs> Amazing. Of course, it's your favourite film. You would have watched it a lot. Exactly. It's one of those ones I think I put on on um, sort of, you know, those rainy days where you've got nothing else to do. And you think, oh, just bang on the oh, phone. Yeah. And it, it's a good one for that because you can switch off completely from it and you can go away and do something else and come back and, and see other bits. And it's, yeah. Yeah, this is a big time rainy day film. I think something about like a, a good rainy day film, it should be, and I say this with a, a great deal of love for Highlander, a, sort of a glorified B movie. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, for me, the yeah. ultimate rainy day film that I've seen dozens and dozens of times is Flash Gordon, which is obviously a B movie and a very yeah. glorious one at that. But this it, this has not just the Queen soundtrack, but this has, yeah. I think, a lot in common with the kind of the cheesiness, the yeah. fun, the silliness. That It's that kind of movie that makes it a perfect rainy day movie, I reckon. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think, I think that's why I, I, I love it and why I've, I've watched it so many times, because it's just... It's completely mindless. It, there's the story is there's a story there, but you really know about the story. I don't know. It's all about swords and action and lightning, and it's just great. Yeah, from that point of view. I was reading a little bit about the guy who wrote this, and right. I mean, Gav, you probably know more than me, but um, this apparently like it's something like the guy did this as, on his undergraduate course. He wrote this screenplay or this yeah. story. And it was basically him riffing off of the Duelist, sort of yeah. like that, and then sort of creating this this story where you've got like this massive duel which just takes place over years and years and years. Yeah. And then he went on a trip to uh, I think it was I think it was London, and then he must have gone to Scotland, and he was like looking around, and he, he said like went to the Tower of London, saw all these great exhibits, and was like wouldn't it be amazing if someone had lived long enough to have all of these things in their house and collect them and would have worn like these old suits of armor and stuff and whatnot. And I mean, I think that's quite a good little springboard to like get into this film, but it's like, it's weird the way these things come about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I must be, I hadn't heard that about um, the guy who wrote it. Uh, It's, but that that makes perfect sense that that's where it all came from. And certainly, you know, when you, you look at Conor McLeod's special room in his house, where he goes to later on with all this stuff in it it's um yeah perfect from that point of view that that it looks like a museum doesn't it definitely it's really impressive isn't it yeah very much so yeah so so why else do you think this is your favorite film so obviously you said it's like the perfect rainy day film yeah. it's, it's got all of that stuff you can sort of switch off but then what is it about it like is there something something in the story or something in the the setting what do you think, think makes it, it the best it's one of those films i saw it well, what was it? 1986 it came out, so I would have been about 15 when it came out. Now, I know I saw it on VHS, so it must have got to VHS much quicker than films do nowadays. And I guess mm. it was probably rental shop, because you, you couldn't buy VHS back then. So it must have been a rental thing. And I think it was probably my... I've got an older brother. I think it was probably... Yeah. It would have been summer holidays. Older brother will have rented it, because he was 18 at that point. Because it was an 18 when it first came out. He brought it back, we'll suck it on, and we'll sat and watched it in the middle of some holidays, basically. 
and it'll have been something to watch at that point and probably I think I remember watching it on TV and thinking god this is just amazing um, it had sword fights which big fan of Star Wars and suddenly it wasn't laser swords these were proper swords that then sparked when they hit each other yeah so um, many sparks in this film <laughs> oh it's fantastic then it had this history element to it um, and my schooling I'm sure your schooling was very different I know school is now because I'm a teacher mm. but my schooling when we did history lessons a guy walked in he stood at the front he went write this down and he wrote in chalk on the board for about half an hour and he just copied it down and then he rolled the board up and he did another half an hour of talking and he did that for about four weeks in a row and they went next week there's a test <sighs> go on and that that was it that was that oh. was the teaching of history so I was bored by it didn't want to do history but then I watched this and thought ooh there's more to history than just writing stuff from a chalkboard there's all this stuff that happened in the, the highlands with all these guys and kilts smashing them with swords and stuff I want to know about this so it sparked interest in history um, it's very it's got a lot of horror in it I don't care yep. what anyone says, you know, the Kurgan, mm. if you get Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, and Jason Voorhees and put them together, you get the Kurgan. Um, <laughs> he, he's an unstoppable, massive force with one-liners. So he, yeah. he's just, he's got, he's a brilliant movie villain and a great movie monster. So I had this love of horror suddenly came from it as well. And then, as you said, there's a banging Queen soundtrack on it, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone. I don't think enough people realise that it's kind of magic is from Highlander. Um, all those great songs that are on that album. They're all in this film. It's just it's fab from that point of view. Queen was kind of my way into Highlander, or right. not so much my way in, but I, I, I'm a lifelong Queen fan. They're like, I've yeah. got, you know, some of my earliest memories are like listening to Queen uh, albums and greatest hits. Yeah. Um, so loved all the. Uh, kind of magic tracks and then when I came to so maybe it wasn't my way in but like when I finally got around seeing this when I was a teenager um I was already like biased in favor of the film because when (laughs) when princes of the universe like when the first few beats of that comes in on the credits it's so powerful it's just like oh my god I'm so excited for this film um and that kind of I I couldn't not like it with that soundtrack on it so yeah yeah, it was queen for me it's weird because I think I'm moving around that my entry to Queen was because of Highlander. Oh, right. I, so nice. I watched the film. And thought, Actually, this band aren't too bad. I might listen to some more of their stuff. Because um, I think that my only entrance, only thing I'd heard from before would be the Flash soundtrack, and that was just a bit cheesy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this was just completely different. Um, I mean, the all the words to all the songs on that album mean so much more once you've seen Highlander. Yeah. All the stuff about you know because he, he says things about it being immortal, the blood of kings, all that in Prince of the Universe. There's so much stuff in it that if you haven't seen Highlander, that album doesn't mean an awful lot at all. But once I, you've seen it, it changes it. I was also reflecting after watching the film that like I wondered if um, I wondered how much of the film Queen had seen. You never know, like when it's a soundtrack like this, yeah. you, never, you never really know how much they see. But I find I always find it very interesting that just the way the way that Freddie Mercury sings a kind yeah. of magic on the song a kind of magic yeah. is completely the wrong um sentence rhythm to how every yeah. character says it in highlander so it really yeah. sounds like they hadn't seen any of the scenes where someone says there can be only one yes <laughs> and or how kind of magic yeah yeah or how he says it's kind of magic it's, it's completely different isn't it uh the inflection that christopher lambert puts in as opposed to freddie yeah well, he's got a but very then, unique inflection, hasn't he, Christopher Lambert? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might so talk about that. 
Yeah, but then if you look at um, Who Wants to Live Forever, that fits absolutely perfect with that montage of oh, um, yeah, yeah, Heather growing old. And you wonder whether they'd yeah. seen that bit, but maybe not the rest of it. Just knew that it was about immortals, so we've got to put in stuff about living forever, and they managed to write that song, I don't know. Yeah, yeah well, I think they were only supposed to do one song for the film initially, but then... Yeah. They got interested in it. I think they might. I think they watched some of it. I don't know if they watched all of it, but then they, right. it's sort of like again, it springboarded from there. They were like, "Yeah, we like this film. We like the concept. We're going to write some more songs." Yeah. Can you imagine so if the- Queen said that about your film? You you, you managed yeah. to bag Queen to do one song. You're you're, you're <laughs> laughing, and then they're like, "We actually we'd like to do a load of songs for your film." <laughs> like, God. We we even want to cover New York, New York. Yeah, yeah. That one's a bit <laughs> yeah, weird. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And like Christopher Lambert's in the music video for for one of them, isn't he? He's like he's like crossing swords with Freddie Mercury. Wow, I've not so, seen yeah. that. Can't remember which one because um, I think if you watch the music video for "It's Kind of Magic," it doesn't use any of the footage of the film yeah. at all. Um, but um, who wants I think to live it's, forever? Is it Princess of the Universe? Might be. That would make the most sense. That's the most. Yeah. That's the one that feels most like a title track because it's. It yeah. really sounds like the soundtrack to an exciting, oh. action-packed fantasy movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you put that that Connery bit that I've kind of just done at the start, and then it goes into Prince of the Universe. It's just an amazing start to a film, and you can't not watch it. Um, from that point, I think you're, you're hooked. Even though all you've seen is some red writing on a black background, um, it's just. I want to see what's going to happen in this film. What's all this stuff about, about them living forever and this mm. thing they call The Gathering. What, what What's that all about? It's a, it's a great start. Yeah. yeah, it gets you in with all of that sort of intrigue, doesn't it, pretty quickly. But I yeah. think also, like, the characters are so good and the actors and everyone that's involved in it. Like, we talked about Queen. Queen, yeah. fantastic soundtrack. But yeah. what about the actors in this film? There's so many great performances. There is. I mean, Connery, you can't knock ever can you I, I, actually <laughs> people do knock Conry a lot now since his death there's been a lot of things said and mainly about him knocking other people to be honest but um, <laughs> we'll maybe steer clear of that um yeah he was he was a brilliant actor regardless of his, his personal life he was a brilliant actor i mean mm. he's, he's still my favorite bond i don't care what anyone says he was the embodiment of james bond yeah, um, i agree with that and he's the only person who can go through his entire career and never do an accent other than scottish uh, regardless of who he's playing, you know, he's the only <laughs> Russian submarine captain I've seen who has a Scottish accent. Um, <laughs> in this, he's the only Egyptian working in Spain who has a Scottish accent. <laughs> um, I, his, I think my favourite line of his in this is where he says, Haggis. What's Haggis? Haggis? What is Haggis? That's <laughs> his Scottish accent. Classic line. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just doesn't work. Um, but well, yeah, you- I mean, Conry's great. Yeah, go on. You say it doesn't work, but when I watched it this time, because that's like a, it's a pretty like it's an easy jab at Highlander is that yeah. you've got Connery playing an Egyptian <laughs> by way of Spain, um, and that's ridiculous. But Lambert's accent is very strange in the film. So they have that line where they ask him where he's from, and he says, "Yeah, everywhere, all all over the place, Lots something of like different that." Different places. Lots of different places. Which actually, do- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which actually does work for the character, doesn't it? Like it does, these, yeah, these immortals yeah. have thousands of years to wander yeah. around the planet and pick up whatever yeah. mad accent along the way. Um, so I was kind of reflecting on that. Like they've obviously put that line in to explain why the French man is speaking <laughs> with a sort of American accent and he's from Scotland. Um, yeah. 
And I think, I guess they're kind of doing the same thing with Connery, right? They're just flipping around, Maybe, yeah. flipping it all around and saying he's from yeah. all sorts of different places. Yeah, and his possibly. voice has landed on Scottish by way of yeah. circumstance, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's a good you way can, to get around it. Yeah, I suppose Clancy Brown is obviously supposed to be Russian. Yeah. The, the Kurgan race was supposed to be mm. Russian and he doesn't sound Russian in any way, shape or form. He sounds as, as American as he can. So... Maybe that is it. They're just going, you know, accents don't really matter here. So they just all talk however they talk. I think so. Yeah, that I, works. I think if you're going to poke holes in this film, you shouldn't start with the accents. I mean, there's <laughs> other stuff going on. But... <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> Come on, then. <laughs> but I mean, like, you just have to suspend your disbelief with a lot of it because yeah. it is, like, silly and fun entertainment, isn't it? Yeah. But... But yeah, there's lots of like crazy stuff that goes on in this film. Yeah. But well, it, mean, is, it is good fun, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you've got um, immortals running around smashing each other with swords, then it's not exactly going to be the most serious or dramatic <laughs> film going. It, you know, there's got to be some laughter in there somewhere, hasn't there? And yeah, the accents are a bit dodgy, but I think all the performances are brilliant. I mean, the, the chemistry between Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery is definitely there. Yeah. You you believe that he is his mentor and he is really trying to teach him how to be this sword fighter that's going to somehow, hopefully, save the world at some point. Yeah, um, and, I, and I feel like Sean Connery did a lot of sort of mentoring roles after this, didn't he? He like he, he became that kind of figure a bit more. Yeah. Uh, like, it made me think of um, Indiana Jones as well, like when yeah. he's Indy's dad and he's kind of that character again a little bit, like a little bit yeah. less so than this, but I think it kind of... Sp- spurred that on in his acting career yeah well even even untouchables um mm. where he plays a, an irishman with a scottish accent um <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of mentoring kevin costner in that a little bit about how to be a policeman in america so yeah there's a, there's a lot to that i suppose yeah that mentoring thing was something he ended up being his thing I think it's like it's the the stage of his career where he was really embracing the fact that he was aging and he was no longer mm. I don't I don't know his career well enough to know when that started but like Untouchables and Last Crusade are both after this film I think it's yeah. around this yeah. it's the 80s basically for him yeah. isn't it where he he just embraced like he's not the action lead anymore he's yeah. an elder statesman of cinema um and that's nice to see like a lot of actors can't do that like bruce willis is kind of in that <laughs> stage now but i don't think he's making a great success like connery did no. of being he but, could he could have been a similar he could have had a similar uh aging with grace periods like connery did yeah. but connery's yeah. the, the model for that i think yeah yeah he did he did it really well i mean all all of his roles from a certain point you're right he's plays very much the second fiddle to a, another major character who's doing the heavy lifting i suppose of the film and he pops up for a bit and he's not actually on screen in this for that long. I mean, it's about a two, a, what hour fifty running time. He's probably in it for about half an hour of it. The rest mm. of it is is on Lambert's shoulders and and Clancy Brown's shoulders, I guess, to a certain extent. Yeah, and speaking yeah. of chemistry, Clancy Brown has great chemistry oh. with everyone he's on screen with. Like yeah. he he he's he makes it fun when he's on screen. He yeah. looks like he'd be. It, I think it would be fun to play an adversary of Clancy Brown in a film. Oh, he makes yeah. it look like a yeah. fun job, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, he's awesome in this. I mean, he's just... As I said earlier, he's, he is like a movie monster. He is yeah. just unstoppable. And you know that, you know, there's the scene where the, the army guy peppers him with 
bullets from his machine gun and he just gets back up, which is straight out of, mm. you know, Jason or Michael Myers would be exactly the same. If you shot them, they get back up and they come straight back at you. And that's exactly what he does. And he relishes the whole killing of people and being angry. That bear, he's got the guy on the sword and he's, he's holding him up on the sword. It's just, you can see in his eyes that he's, he's loving it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he's unhinged as well, isn't he? Yeah. He's just—he's just so mad. You, he's unpredictable in his ways. You don't know if he's gonna, what he's gonna do, and that's what makes him so terrifying as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, I mean, there's some, there's some brilliant stuff. In it. I, I have to call out good old Alan North though, um, as the police chief. Alan North. He was the policeman in um, Naked Gun. Police squad. <laughs> he obviously plays the police chief, the detective in this as well. Yeah. And it just, I mean, I can't take the guy seriously because of police squad and Naked Gun. Um, so when he popped up in this, he was just like, I remember him now. It's Alan North. He's great. So, but he's really good as a detective. I think he's very much typecast as a detective. I think everything I've ever seen him in, he is a detective or a chief of detectives or head of the police or whatever it happens to be. That seems to be the role he takes in everything. Um, but he's brilliant again in this as that the person looking into who's killed this guy in this car park because that's kind of part of the story I suppose I mean I, I did a brief kind of redid the, the start there but actually there's 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 three stories going on in this or maybe four is there four <laughs> yeah there's Connor growing up in the highlands of Scotland and then being mentored by Connery is kind of one story um, yeah. there's the fact that there's someone going around beheading people in New York City, which is then in 1986. And that's the police story that uh, he's involved in. There's then this love affair that he's starting with Brenda, which is a great name. Um, don't get enough Brendas anymore. <laughs> True. <laughs> don't think you did in 86 either, but Brenda. Um, and then, of course, there's the gathering and the meeting of all the immortals together to finally win the prize whatever the prize may be because um, I don't think they really explain what the prize is until the very very end of the film yeah um, that's th that's a good example of um, well no I mean they, they answer that but but I do, I do feel every time I watch it that the film uh, raises more questions than, than it yeah. provides answers to but I suppose like that I, I think that is probably one of the reasons people like it and it's had like enduring appeal and it's spawned yeah. sequels, TV shows, etc. Because there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of room to work with there because a lot of the stuff oh, you're absolutely. like, what's going on? I don't understand it. It's like, well, yeah. maybe we'll pick it up in series three of the TV series and explain it. I feel like this was a standalone film though. I feel yes, like they didn't, yeah. they weren't thinking about sequels and stuff no. so no, no i don't think yeah. that stuff's deliberate but i think there's no. so much there that's uh, yeah. little hooks of interest that if you if, if fans pick up on it and enjoy it then those are going to be the hooks that you can you can hang tv yeah. series on yeah i mean i think it comes from what you were saying about the way that he wrote the story if that is right you know he went round and found museums and saw these museums and saw scotland but then he's got a, fi a film somehow into new york how do I put all those things together? Well, I've got to have some sort of travel through time and I've got to place this character <laughs> somehow in Scotland and give them a reason to be in America. So, you know, uh, Ramirez says about we'll be gathered to a far distant land at the time yeah. of the gathering. So it's like, well, actually, now we've got you in Scotland, far distant land. At that point in history, uh, America wasn't even a thing. So that is a far distant land. So they can do that and, and gather them over there. And it, it makes sense from that point of view. 
So I guess there was lots of different ideas going on and how do I fit that area into my story that I've kind of written about this duel through time. So I guess it makes sense from that point of view to have it in all these different places and have lots of different stories that were created that then built one big story. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Star Wars in that sense, that there's like this sort of germ of an idea that just gets spun up and spun up and spun up and spun up. And then... yeah. And that's how you build franchises is that you've you've got a very you've got a fairly simple idea in mind, but then as you bolt stuff onto it to get to where you need to be to make your whole film, you've yeah. bolted so much stuff on that you've got so many bolts you need to <laughs> you can then talk about those bolts and people are interested in those bolts and want to see, you know, yeah. what's going on with them. I think yeah, it's got yeah, a lot then, in common there. Yeah, then you end up yeah. having to retcon different things because it doesn't work with what you've just done and what you did previously and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I quite like how Ramirez explains it though. He just says like, "Oh, why does the sun come up? Like, you shouldn't yeah. need to think about these things." And that's yeah. kind of like in the. It's a sort of get out of jail free card for the film. Like, it, 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 it just is. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no reasoning behind the fact there's these immortals there on in the world, yeah. and just don't don't think about it. Just like it's happening. This is what it is. But yeah. imagine if and, someone was telling you that, and they were also saying, "And we're all going to meet <laughs> and try and behead each other. We have to behead each other." <laughs> Only one of us can survive, yeah. and you're like, yeah. F- "Why? <laughs> what? Why? No why one knew that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're like, just you here in Scotland, it'd be fine. Yeah, you can't fight in a church. Like that's against the yeah. rules. Yeah, like somebody said that, so like now none of us can do it. Yeah, and like who loads said of that? little things. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, all obviously, these the, all these immortals were born at completely different times. Yeah, because Connor's fairly young, I suppose, to the whole group. Ramirez has obviously been around a long time. He was born in Egypt and he's gone via Spain. Uh, the Kurgan was some race of people in, well, before Russia was even thought of being Russia. Um, that What was it? They used to throw their babies to the dogs to fight for food for fun. And it's just like, <sighs> what a great, a great bunch <laughs> yeah. of people they must have been. Yeah. Um, so they were all obviously born at very, very different times. So how come Connor's so much younger? It doesn't fit, but it works <laughs> well how come connor's younger and why do they all respect the holy ground which we learn later in yeah. the film is, is christian holy ground specifically because there's the scene in the church but yes like, of course yeah ramirez was born something like 900 years before the birth of christ so yeah yeah where's the christian holy ground come into it yeah because he does say he's, he's been around for two thousand years at some point doesn't he i'm sure I, he does i worked it out yeah because he's um I do this all the time. It's <laughs> incredibly boring. I've deleted it now, but but because it's oh it, it's nine it, it's fifteen thirty six um, in the first flashback. Then I think right. it's five years later when he encounters Ramirez. Ramirez says he is two thousand and something years old. So it's it's roughly uh, yeah. Was it nine? <laughs> <laughs> roughly yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. It was something like nine hundred BC or six hundred BC. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so why would Holy Ground, Christian Holy Ground, be a thing for them? It just doesn't work. But suspend your disbelief, it's absolutely fine. It'll be, it'll work out. Maybe it's just the Holy Ground of the the era of time that you're in at that point in time. That's a that's a great little bit of uh, <laughs> just coming, <laughs> like, coming up with something to defend the film. I also find it interesting that, like... They all respect that rule, including the Kurgan, who seems yeah. an incredibly unlikely candidate to give any kind of a damn about the yeah. the rules of Holy Ground. 
Well, he actually pushes the rule, doesn't he? When Connor goes to fight him, he goes, no, holy ground, Highlander, and, yeah. and pushes him back. Whereas you would have thought, actually, no, it's a good excuse to get my sword out now. Yeah. Because yeah, he's quite happy, to, quite happy to, to pull faces and be silly towards the nuns and try and scare the nuns, but he still respects holy ground. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, it's not a respect yeah. for God and Christ that, that keeps no. the holy ground sacrosanct. It's <laughs> something else is going on for the immortals. Yeah. Yeah, don't know what though. Yeah. There can be only one. So we talked about sort of like a quite a few bits about the film already, but sort of like what what are your sort of like favourite scenes in the film, and like what what scenes stuck out for you? Because there's quite a lot that happens in it. There's lots of fight scenes. There's lots of like yeah. um, mentoring scenes and flashbacks. What what sort of like were your favourite scenes, and, and which ones did you think really hit home? Yeah. I- I love the opening scene. So you come out of the, the title and you're in this wrestling arena. Yeah. Uh, there's just lots of shouting. So you've still got no idea what this film is about at this point. And they have this wonderful fly through the audience, which I don't know how they did back in 86, to be honest. I think now they'd have a drone and they'd fly a drone around. But back then, I guess they had wires mm. and they were yeah. flying the cameras around on wires because you fly around the whole thing and then you kind of zoom in on this guy that's sitting there on this chair that he's in darkness apart from this light across his eyes because only really his eyes that are in lightness mm. um, and it flies in on him and you start getting these flashbacks that he's having to some massive battle that he's been in uh, in the Highlands of Scotland and it flicks back the wrestling and it's, you just it's such a confusing scene that you just want to keep watching to find out what the heck this is all about because at this point in time your only input is to this immortals and, and now we're in a wrestling match and then suddenly then Highlands of Scotland and then back to the wrestling match and then Highlands of Scotland again. What what's going on? You just haven't got a clue. Um and that kind of then leads into the first fight, which again was just wow, what what are they doing here? They're fighting with swords in a car park and there's sparks flying off their swords and it's just it's an amazing start to a film because it still leaves you, even after that sword fight. What what's going on? I, I haven't got a clue. And I just remember watching that first scene and just going, I now have to watch all this film just to work out what the heck any of this is about, because <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Um, but I just think that's an amazing sort of first scene to start with any film, because yeah. it just, it hooks you in, yeah. and it makes you want to see it. It's, it's the same thing as about if you're going to read a novel, you know, within the first five pages, you know if you want to read it. I guess with a film, within the first ten minutes, you know if you want to see it. And I think with this, in the first ten minutes, you're still even reeling from the fact of, I don't know what's going on, and they're still in the action. So you yeah. have to keep watching, and yeah. and it, yeah, it's an opening scene that ends with a deca- decapitation like that. Well, how, yeah. how often does that happen in a film? <laughs> but I mean, it's very also intense. it's just this guy is flipping around, the and he doesn't oh, look yes. like the kind yeah. of guy who's going to be flipping about. Like he just no. he, he does like his endless flip down yeah. the yeah. down the car park, which just goes on and on. Yeah, I was yeah. just so taken aback by that because I didn't remember any, any an, of those bits. Such an inefficient way of moving. It is flip. completely. <laughs> But when you're immortal, you're not worried about uh, physical efficiency, I suppose. Makes it harder for someone to hit your head. Yes, that's Ah. very true. Yes. You know, there's there's a reason for all these things. But then, Gav, all of the immortals should be backflipping in every fight all of the time. (laughs) Yeah, good point. I was actually. doing a kilt, though. That's. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, maybe Connor wouldn't take to it. I was actually. One of the things that, that, that I was thinking, one of the. One of the examples of like um, something the film raised and did only answered a little bit that I would like to see, yeah. and I haven't seen enough of the sequels, is uh, 
there's really good sword fighting in this film, yeah. but it's quite traditional sword fighting. It's good traditional sword fighting. Yeah. And there's a scene right at the end during the climactic fight where uh, Connor hides underwater and the Kurgan just dips underwater to yeah. go to look for him. And now we've yeah. we've had it explained that, that they don't drown Connor. He actually says he can breathe underwater, which, which really yes. doesn't make any sense. But we understand <laughs> he won't die underwater. Yeah. So I, was, I wanted to see more of like, how would being an immortal change your fighting style? Because you can go underwater to hide. That's a perfectly valid tactic in a fight. Yeah. Yeah. You could willingly get stabbed as many times as necessary. Obviously, the Kurgan utilizes that. Um, yes. But I want to see more. I don't know if the, the the sequels pick this up more, but like adapting your fighting style because on, you can only be killed by decapitation. Yeah, yeah, it's true that they, they don't. It is very traditional. The only thing, the, the thing they all do, which I did notice, is they all do that twirling of the sword. So whoever was in charge of <laughs> teaching them how to sword fight must have gone. You can twirl the sword if you do this, and they twirl <laughs> the sword run. Because even the Kurgan does it with his massive broadsword that he's got. He twirls it round in that final scene, but. I guess Connor's sword definitely lends itself to that twirling more. Um, but yeah, that, they don't adapt, you're right. It is just traditional bang, bang, bang. Uh, I guess even Star Wars have managed to adapt fighting styles to make them look like something more than traditional. Mm-hmm. If you look at A New Hope and look at Darth Vader against Obi-Wan Kenobi against, I don't know what they're doing in Phantom Menace when you've got Darth Maul with his twin blade against Obi-Wan and Quinn gone on the other side. It's a, a very different fighting style that they've all got. So yeah, it would be nice to see some different. Yeah, I hope that I don't know. I, I've never seen any of the series. I hope some of that gets picked up in the series, or if this was ever remade, that would be a good thing to to focus in on. I think if you remade it, you could do an awful lot more with it now than they did back yeah, then. Just yeah. from a point of view of special effects. I mean, I talked about that scene that they open it with. You know, when you then get the lightning going up the the rims of the the car and things like that. God, it's it's so dated the technology that they've used to do that. They've it's been scratched on the film, hasn't it? They've they've mm. etched those white bits onto the film to draw them on. Uh, now it's just CG it, and it'd be all right. But it looks really yeah, cool, though. Good. And that coupled with oh, yeah. the, like the lights popping, everything's shaking, the yeah. cars are just going crazy. It adds to what you yeah. were saying about like just drawing you into this mysterious yeah. world of the film. Like, okay, yeah. they've killed each other. He's chopped his head off, and now all this is <laughs> happening. What the what the hell? Yeah. What's going on? Why is this white light coming out of his body? And, and why, is he, why is Connor just going... Oh. Yeah, and I mean, the yeah. mysteries just keep coming, don't they? And the yeah. only way you sort of like... The way you sort of like find out about what's what's happened and what is going on in this crazy film where people are having fights in car parks and decapitating each other yeah. is through these like flashbacks. But they yes. seem so weird when they first come in because you, you're seeing Scotland like... Yes. A long, long time ago, and how? Yeah. Where is that? Like you were saying earlier, where is that connection between New York's sort of present day in the world of the yeah. film? And yeah. then, yeah, they sort of like they go through it. And I mean, you're talking about this, the historical aspects of it as well. Yes. That big fight that you see at the start when um, Connor is first going into battle—that's really yeah. impressive. It is, and yeah. It really sort of sets up that kind of world, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that fight scene—it's the Clan MacLeod against the Clan MacDougall, isn't it? And you know, they're all shouting the names of their clan as they run through because that's how they recognize each other as being someone they want to fight. But it's a brutal fight. You know, there's people, there's like two on one uh, drowning each other under the water and mm. just stabbing each other nastily and just gouging each other and whatever else. It's it's a proper brutal fight and it's they show an awful lot more than you'd expect. 
um, for that type of fight. Um, the fact that then Connor's wandering around going, no one will fight me in his strange yeah. Scottish French thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, and I guess that could have been the end of the film if the Kurgan hadn't been knocked over by one of Connor's clan mates because he was pretty much there to kill Connor McLeod at that point, who didn't even know he was in a mall, which is the bizarre thing at that point. Doesn't he? Well, that, that's he the first know. time he dies. Oh, Connor doesn't know he's in the mortal. The, the Kurgan knows. Uh, the Kurgan yeah, does, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Kurgan obviously knows. But then that leads to that whole thing of how does he know? Because Connor was born, what, 20 odd years ago in, in Scotland there. Um, how does he know he's in a mortal? I've got how a... does he know to go to the Highlands of Scotland to find this guy that may be a mortal? I've got a good answer yeah. for that, which is the, the movie's answer to most difficult questions, which is the quickening. <laughs> the quickening which the quickening. which sort Everything of changes throughout the film ramirez says yeah. a couple of times it's the quickening <laughs> it just and that's the, getting the, lightning strikes yeah, yeah the quickening's whatever you need it to be it's reading yeah. a reading a deer's mind it's running on a beach um it's yeah. sucking the soul of a of an immortal into yourself so i think it's yeah. a it's a bit of the quickening that brought the Kurgan yeah. to, to McLeod. Of course. And because the sun had risen that day. Yeah. So. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that works, doesn't it? How good yeah. is the how good is the Kurgan's helmet and his whole like battle armor oh, there? Great, isn't it? But again, that was what I was saying about getting hooked in. Yeah. You see this yeah. guy, this massive guy in this black armor with this skull helmet. It's just like, what is this guy? This is the villain. This has got to be a good film. You've got someone that's in that type of villain costume. It's going to be a good film. It's it's like when you first see Darth Vader, you think this has got to be a good film because it's an amazing villain. Um, films like this thrive on their villain, don't they? Yeah, it, it's very He Man, isn't it? It's a very uh, yes. I love it. I love that helmet. It's very skeletal. Yeah, I was studying it because it's like I, I'm unsure what manner of beast he's uh, he's wearing the skull off on his head. No, I, I have no idea what that is. It's some made up animal, yeah, I think. Yeah. But you know. Maybe it was alive a long time before any yes. of us were born. Oh, or, yeah, maybe. You know, he could have had that armor for thousands and thousands of years. It might be a dinosaur. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. That'd be good backstory. Well, Ramirez does say from the dawn of time at yeah. the start, doesn't he? So He does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see the Velociraptors fight the <laughs> That would be interesting. <laughs> Kurgan killed a few Velociraptors first and then made a helmet out of them. There you go. I mean, why not? Yeah, but that, but then we but then oh, you go. No, I was just going to say maybe that would have been a better prequel. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Park we Thailand. <laughs> craziness, craziness. But then of course, yeah, Connor figures out that he's immortal. Well, yes. he he kind of just he doesn't really fully know, does he, until he meets Ramirez. No. No. But so this this bit was quite interesting. Like this whole sort of like lead up to it, and the fact I kept thinking about. So when they get stabbed. Do they have a scar afterwards, or does it like get healed completely? Do they start bleeding? I mean, the Kurgan ends up with a big scar around his neck, but yeah, I mean, again, they don't have to go into these things, but it was stuff that I was wondering about throughout the film. Like, he gets stabbed at one point, Connor, um, by Brenda, and then yeah. there's no blood on the dagger. I don't know if that was just like a like an error. That might or, have been error, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, but it's like all these I mean, little things you start thinking about just whilst you're watching it, don't you? Yeah, certainly that, that first scene, the first time he's killed, I suppose, when the Kurgan sticks the sword in him, he sticks it in his side. Mm. And now every time you then see him with a shirt off, which you then do see him a few times with a shirt off, 
you never kind of see your side. So if there is a scar, you, you wouldn't see it anyway. Uh, if you've been stabbed in the stomach, obviously they would have to put scar material. I wonder if that's why they, they went for, well, stab him his side. And then it doesn't matter about doing some makeup effects later on. We can get away with that. If they all get scars all over, given the types of lives that they lead, they would literally be yeah. covered in scars head to toe. Though, they would, know. wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Can't, yeah, can't blend in very well if you're just yeah. completely I mean, battle-ravaged. <laughs> there is always blood. I mean, when um, the Kurgan gets shotgunned in the alley, there's there's plenty of blood flies off his yeah. body at that point. Um, there doesn't seem to be any on the ground afterwards. And he does seem to heal very quickly because you kind of see him later on. You can see the holes in the T-shirt, but there's no visible wound behind the hole in the T-shirt. The T-shirt's just got a bit of red on it. So <laughs> That's true. I don't yeah. know. Maybe maybe some of them heal quicker than others. I mean, when you've been around for as long as the Kurgan, you just heal straight away. Here's another, here's Again, a, it's, it's it, just the quickening. It's the quickening. We could yeah, say it's quickening. quickening yeah. Here's another possible one, though. I like I like this theme of like <laughs> coming up with defences for Highlander because I like the film <laughs> and I also respect the fact that it's silly and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, oh, it's sort of why. But I if mean, you think you about know, it, uh, the Kurgan got slashed on the throat, which is, and he's got a scar. That's that's a yeah. that's an immortal's weak point. That is that's oh, very uh, sensitive yeah. area. He nearly got his head True, locked yeah. off there. So I can see you getting a Did scar you? on your neck. Because he nearly lost yeah. his head there. That's very true. And you don't want to lose your head. No. We, we're told Definitely many not. times. <laughs> many times, don't lose your yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. No. That that could be it. Maybe it's the weak points, the neck. So everywhere else you don't scar, but the neck you definitely do. There we go. That's canon. Well done. <laughs> you've, you've sorted that one for me. Thank you. Anytime anyone says anything now, Noel, you see. Weak point, the neck. Yeah. Yeah, I'd buy, right. I'd buy into that, definitely. <laughs> But I mean, one Me of the too. other things the film is sort of going on about is like what it would, I mean, who wants to live forever is yeah. the question the Queen's asking. And like, what, what do the, how do they portray being immortal? And would you want to be immortal, Gav, based on this film? No, because at some point in time, I'm going to get my head chopped off or I'm going to have to kill everyone that I know <laughs> and chop their heads off to win this prize. <laughs> Just that one. It doesn't seem like a good way. Of I mean, life, not not everyone, you know, just like your best mates from like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah, all the people that I've known for all of my life are, are either going to die while I'm getting old, or not getting old, or I'm going to have to lop their heads off at some point. You know, it's... And what that, world? And that's what happening world? somewhere in between the unimaginable tragedy of uh, your wife growing old and dying while you stay permanently <laughs> yeah. young. Yeah. 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 It's not a great life. Never be able to have children children because yeah. that's one of the things they tell us. Um living through the world wars, obviously, and rescuing someone to have as a surrogate daughter. Well let's mm. um, let's face it, that's uh, that's one of his most badass moments is the uh, is yes. the World War Two flashback. I love that scene, yeah, that's it great. Is. It's brilliant. I think that's only yeah. in the director's cut. I think that's not an original scene. Um which is crazy Ooh. because it's one of the better I, moments. No, because it's it's it explains Rachel. Yeah, and I think Ra- otherwise there's no reason for that relationship mm. that he has with Rachel. Yeah, I think in the theatrical cut, it, Rachel doesn't make a lot of sense. See, I can't, I can't remember. I, I, I'm sure that's the only version I've ever seen has got that oh, scene enough. in it. Fair enough. But I might be remembering other versions that I've seen because obviously I've seen different versions of it through time and maybe it's just i'm not remembering the original version i saw as opposed to the version i've seen more recently I'm not sure but yeah he gets to, yeah, it, it all, he gets to gun down and it all, doesn't he? that's the most important thing yeah yeah exactly yeah absolutely the master race <laughs> a, that is a great line 
<laughs> yes. And there's loads, I mean, there's loads of one-liners in it all the way through, just things that they say just to each other in, as an offhand. And, and they use them again and again. I mean, there can be only one thing is used so much. Mm. Um, but then you have the whole, there can be only one. There can be only one what? What, what are you talking about? And Brenda sort of overhears it. I think the Kurgan has the best lines, though. I think he's got so many oh. quotables. Like, my favourite bit is when he hijacks some guy's car and he just turns to the old woman and goes, Mom? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, bits like that. Just, yeah, he's got all the best ones. Yeah, he de- definitely. Well, this was saying, he's, he's a fantastic movie villain, isn't he? And the movie villains always get the best lines. They're always the ones that everyone goes, yeah, their scenes are great. Because he is, he's just, he's mental the whole way through. It's its even the the new look when he kind of sort of says to him in the church when he's shaved his hair, new look, yeah, don't want to get recognised sort of thing. Like, <laughs> you're still going to get recognised. Yeah. He's, he's got safety you. pins in his neck, on his neck skirt. Yeah, yeah. No oh, one's going to look at him and go, oh yeah, that's not the same guy. I like that he's got, yeah. he's got like a tuft of hair, hasn't he? It's a legit like self haircut, isn't it? Absolute hack job. He's got his sword, hasn't he? Yeah, he's yeah, got his yeah, sword. Yeah. He's just <laughs> in front of the mirror. <laughs> not very well, though. Not properly in no. front of the mirror, clearly. Unless he no. just likes that little tough. He's trying to start a little fashion trend or something. Maybe. It was the 80s, after all. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, there might have been a bunch of people going around looking like that. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, there's, there's, um, there's some really good cuts between places in this. Uh, I know everyone always says about the, you know, the cut in 2001 where the bone goes up and becomes a spaceship. But if you look at that scene again, it, it doesn't the bone doesn't really match the spaceship ever. Um, but there's a scene in this where you go into the fish pond, or the fish tank, and then you scroll up the fish tank to the top of the lock, yeah. and they're on the top. And that one absolutely is a brilliant pan and shot because it's just, you go into the fish tank and then you are on the top and there's no... You don't know why that's happening. There's no wipe or anything. You just go up to the top of the water and they're on top of the water. It's a, that's a lovely bit of cut between one scene and another. Yeah, so, the, the... so Gav, are you going on record as saying this has a better <laughs> intercut between scenes than 2001? Is Highlander the the best unknown <laughs> scene change that no one's seen before? I mean, it's an amazing cut. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Stick to your guns. It's your favourite film. You've got to, you've got to stand behind it. Because people always say, oh, but that cut with it in 2001, it doesn't match up. The bone does not match up with the spaceship. It, it jumps. The bone's kind of the bottom corner there, if, I'm, if you had my fingers. And yeah. the spaceship's there. And it just... And it doesn't match up. It's a lovely cut, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And Kubrick I think it's about the doing. movement and everything and the sort of like, yeah, and all that kind of stuff to it. And it's... Yeah. Yeah, I always... I mean, I the think, Highlander one's good. I always think about uh, yeah. like, you know the Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> one where they blow out the match and then it oh, cuts. Yeah. And like... I think. I, okay, maybe it's not. I, I think, but I think like um, I think I, when I see that, and I feel the same about two thousand one. I love two thousand and one, but I've never like oh, yeah. in that cut. I'm never like, oh my god, that scene just changed in a really cool way. And the same with mm. the match blowing out. I think on a technical level, like cutting film and getting that perfectly lined up, it, it is is great. But I, yeah. you know, I do agree. Like it's very, it's more, it's more stylish. I think in Highlander, yeah. and there is a lot yeah. of stylish cinematography. You mentioned the, what looks like a drone flying through the, um, yeah, the audience in Madison Square Garden. Uh, yeah. The big fight scene at the end has some lovely, like yeah. swoopy cameras. That's just really fun. Absolutely, yeah. On a on a very yeah. sort of relatively simple staging, um, yes. but the camera yeah. makes it really fun. Like 
Russell yeah. Mackay's very, very stylish, and it really, really works for the film. It makes it really yeah. 80s, but it yes, is a really yeah. 80s film. <laughs> and I, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's great direction, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. And then all the camera work, and it is just, yeah, you can't fault that. Even the big battle scene um, that we talked about it, with the McLeods versus the McDoodles, it, it's, the camera goes into that action all the way mm. through. You are in the middle of that battle. So. Love to see that in IMAX. There's a good, um, there's a good like. Uh, doesn't one of the memories like pull out of Connor's eye? One of the flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, yes. Just loads of stuff like that. Transitions yeah. and because although it, that me- that shot, there's something like I don't know if it's just on my my copy, but it looked like it was a yeah, different kind yeah, of film. Yeah. I think yeah, it's because just... it had to be matched up to coming out of the eye. Every time I see the film, mm. I think, what's wrong with this shot? Yeah, and then it goes yeah. through the eye, and I think it's just because yeah. it's part of a special effect. Yeah, could well be. Yeah, I think I, I'd spotted that a bit as well. I mean, I guess when they filmed this, they filmed it in two very, very distinct stages that had been in Scotland for a long time and then in New York doing the rest of it. Um, I do th- I could be wrong, but I think that the Scottish stuff was filmed second. Why do because... you think that? Yeah, because his accent in the Scottish stuff is more Scottish than it is when he's in New York. Oh, but I th- and yeah. I wonder if spending time with Scottish actors ah. gave him a little bit of a better Scottish accent. So when he was doing the stuff where he was supposed to be living in Scotland and he was a Scotchman, he could do a slightly better Scottish accent. I just assumed that like and, his his accent, he, he'd been living in New York for some time and as well as other places, yeah. and he was supposed to have just lost his <laughs> lots of different places. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What, what has Christopher Lambert done other than this? Like, I know he Highlander was too. like Tarzan. Uh, he's Raiden as well in Mortal Kombat, isn't he? Like, yeah. again, lightning. Yeah. He's always characters with lightning involved in some Wait. way. See, he was Tarzan in Greystalk, Legends of Greystalk. Yeah, that's that's what got him the role in this, I think, because they saw yeah. him in that, and then yeah, was it not Subway that got him the role in this? Oh, Which I would don't he, know. you would have done before this? Could be wrong. I thought um, it was Tarzan one again. Like, could I'm, be not, Tarzan, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, Highlander yeah. expert, so no, well, I, I I'm not an expert on Christopher Lambert's experience as an actor. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. <laughs> I think that is his four main roles. I think you just mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> he plays Connor McLeod, a uh, dodgy video game character, Tarzan, and some weird guy in a subway. I do really like him in this film, though. It's easy to take the piss yeah. out of his accent, but um, it is. He's a he's a French man, and he's he's playing roughly an american slash scottish person like it's gonna sound yeah. weird but i think he's really yeah. good in it oh yeah he is uh, he's he's um very charismatic there's something about him that draws you in you want him to win hmm. um there's something about his the story and the way he um tells the story it's almost like because obviously the Kurgan wants to win the prize so he can have all the power there is in the universe because they kind of say at some point that's what the prize is um, and Connor, you seem to think he wants the prize because he just wants to live. He wants to grow old and die with someone and have love, and he doesn't actually care about what the prize is. And there's something in Christopher Lambert's performance when he's with Heather at the start in the Who Wants to Live Forever piece, where mm. there's something in the way he is with her that you know that he doesn't want her to die at that point, and he would like to just stay there, and that's what he wanted from his life. And there's a bit where it kind of it links that to then Brenda at the end. That that's you can see that's what he wants. 
that he just wants to live a normal life as a mortal and have children and grow old and that'll be it. And he doesn't actually care about the price. It's just a bolt on sort of thing. Yeah, I've never yeah. I've never Don't know. I've never been convinced that Connor's got any interest in the prize when I watch the no. film. I, I think um I think there is like uh we're told that that you'll just be compelled to go to the place yeah. of the gathering. And I, I think that's happened yeah. to him. Because he has that conversation with yeah. Castigear where they both seem to does, feel yes. that which is like Oh, I guess we're in New York for it, you know. Like they both seem yeah. to be a little surprised, and they've just come here because they felt like they had to. But also, like yeah. there's there's the revenge story for Connor. Um, I, I guess it's not totally clear if he's expecting to see the Kurgan at the gathering, but he hasn't seen the Kurgan since since way back, and he knows yeah. that the Kurgan killed Ramirez, so yeah. he hates the Kurgan. Like that. Yes. You know, that, that there's a, there's that revenge aspect to it as well for him. Yeah, I mean, I guess they all expect the Kurgan to be there because they do say that, you know he's the most powerful of the immortals. Mm. So it's kind of expected that the the final fight would come down to him and someone else. Um, I don't know. He's also the only immortal. Um, he's the only immortal like who who seems to really be interested in killing other immortals like Fazil <laughs> is that his name at the start Fazil yes at the start yeah Fazil yeah Fazil yeah. is uh he he starts that fight i think like yep. connor's just defending yep. himself um but well he just doesn't get enough screen time really to for us to know what his no. intentions were no. and how much of it was this no. mystical compulsion to come yeah. to the gathering and do the thing that you got to do when you're an immortal but yeah. the kurgan is the one who relishes killing other immortals and becoming yeah. more powerful through it and the rest of them are yeah. just like uh oh you know this sucks We've got to go to the gathering now and yeah. die. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> gonna have to die at some yeah. point i suppose the kurgan's the yeah. one the, the kurgan is more the gathering than anyone else really yeah well he does say at some point just want the prize doesn't he he says that that's what he's in this for it's nothing else yeah. he just wants the prize so he just wants to fight and kill everyone and have that prize and if he could have he would have had it 500 years ago if he'd managed to kill off everybody at that point, it's just, it's taking till now to do it. And here's a hot take. To play devil's advocate for the Kurgan, he's mm. he's the only one really playing by the rules of being an immortal. Like, the rest of them who are just, like, hanging out and sharing a drink in Central Park, <laughs> that's, that's not the deal, guys. We've been talking about this for hundreds True. of years. We've got to kill yeah. each other for the prize. Yeah. I'd be pissed yeah. off they if I was the Kurgan. Only one. You're not taking it seriously. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's why he's so angry. I think so. I think so. He's just I just want people to play by the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nowadays you'd send them all an email or you'd be on the group chat <laughs> saying, Come on, lads, gathering's happening. Get together with your swords, we've got to kill each other. Oh, I'd love there to be a group chat of all yeah. of the immortals. Just <laughs> This is all funny, You're guys. I appreciate the jokes, but just a reminder the gathering is happening in New York in nineteen eighty six, and if we could all be there promptly, I do want to kill all of you. No, it'd be one of them being like, Oh, can you just send us a pin where you are? I just, just wanna find out. <laughs> At least they wouldn't have been affected by COVID, I suppose, being immortal. So they yeah. could still have a group gathering. It would be a good time for it. Yeah. <laughs> Sword fighting over Zoom is probably not the best <laughs> way of doing it. <laughs> you must learn to conceal your special gift and harness your power until the time of the gathering. What gathering? When only a few of us are left, 
we will feel an irresistible pull towards a faraway land to fight for the prize. So, so what other scenes sort of stick out for you, Gav? Because we talked about some of the like the earlier scenes and the flashbacks. Is there anything else in the film which sort of like sticks in your head? Uh, it's it's got to be the the big fight scenes, really, and the fight scene between um, Castagia and the Kurgan in that alleyway that I kind of mentioned a couple of times. Mm. It's just a small scene and. It's the only reason that Castigay is even in the, the film is to have that bit of scene. Um, I, actually, I think that scene's so, in there somehow with some sort of reaction to Rambo and First Blood because the guy they then bring in as the military guy sure. yeah. to then shoot them seems like there's no other reason to have that scene there but to mm. go, do you know what? We'll have this gun-toting vigilante come in and, and shoot them because it'll be fun and a bit of a laugh. Um, but it's a great scene, um, especially when it goes into... The Kurgan getting shot and then him coming back and having his revenge on that guy in the way that he does. It's just, it's it's how much the Kurgan relishes in his evilness at that mm. point that just makes him a really interesting character. I think that scene shows just how evil this guy is. It, if the prize is to have all knowledge of all humanity and be able to run humanity in some way or control them, you really don't want that guy to get that prize. And that scene is kind of that scene that goes, you really don't want this guy to have that prize because look what he would do. Look how bad he is and how evil he is. And that's just one of those scenes that I think really builds the Kurgan's character because he hasn't really been built until then. That's that's the one that builds him more than anything else, I think. Yeah. Could be wrong, but yeah. Yeah, no, def- definitely, definitely. And I mean, it's all Kirk, the Kurgan fight scenes are like the most exciting bits in the film. Oh, I mean, yeah. The other one which stands out for me is the Ramirez one when he's fighting yeah. them in like Connor's home and the, yeah. the whole castle is coming apart. And yeah. I think the, the way they add on to that scene as well later on is when Connor and the Kurgan are having that conversation and you find yes. out that the Kurgan raped his wife and it's like yeah. it just adds that extra layer to it. So yeah. again, it's every scene is like fleshing out just how evil this villain is. Yeah. Yeah, because that adds then to the, the revenge thing that, that Matt was talking about earlier, that, you know, his revenge on for Ramirez, but now suddenly that revenge is because actually you raped my wife as well. Yeah. Right, and now I really want to kill you sort of thing. So there's there's a lot more to it all of a sudden. But that, that one with Ramirez and the, the castle, again, it's the quickening, all the lightning and stuff, because mm. that seems to have started early with the Ramirez fight. But that even ends with a nice comic bit where he's kind of like, I've got the prize, and he does his strange eye roll thing. And then the final bit of lightning hits and knocks him down yeah. and he has to fall down with the castle. It's just like, yeah. poor thing. <laughs> yeah. The Kurgan's eyes are mad in this film as well. Yeah, like, yeah. In the final scene, he gets like demon eyes as well, doesn't he? Just out of nowhere. Yeah. It's like, what is going on? This guy is crazy. Yeah. yeah. But I, I don't know if there was any prosthetics or contract lenses or any special effects. I think that's just Clancy Brown. I think he just manages to look evil. Because <laughs> the, the whole, when he, gets any quicker and he does that rolling his eyes up in the back of his sockets. I don't think he's you know, I don't think there's anything extra going on other than his own acting that's making that happen. Yeah. It's I just, think I did think there was one bit where he did have contact lenses in in the final bit, but again, like you can't tell because like no. he is just so menacing throughout and he's just <laughs> Yeah, he's just a scary dude. Mm. I love that I mean he is in most things he does, but <laughs> I love that fight scene with with Cassia that you mentioned the the thing that I love most about that is the scene that comes immediately before that fight, 
which is the meeting between Connor and, and Castigier yeah. in the park. Just, just cause yeah. it, it just gives that little bit of fleshing out so we know who Castigier is. Yes. And, and adds yes. that kind of, just a bit of sadness and a bit of tragedy that it's like, yeah. it's not a facile character who's come in and is sort of part of the gathering and into it. This, this is one of yeah. Connor's mates and they've got like hundreds yeah. of years of off and on friendship and yeah. they're cool, they meet, they joke around, I haven't got a sword, you haven't got yeah. a sword, let's have a drink, you know. That I love yeah. that little that just a little bit of added depth to that character right before yeah. he's killed off, basically. Yeah, and that also leads to one of the the funniest scenes, which is the the um, duel. I love the duel scene when yeah. he's drunk in France. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps stabbing him, and he keeps getting back. Going, sorry, sorry. And it, well, it's that's particularly him, yeah. nice because um, Connor is Connor has quips, but. Broadly yeah. speaking, he's quite a serious character. He's got yeah. this tragic yeah. backstory and he's reluctantly yes. possibly going to his death against the Kurgan, all of that. Yeah. And then to show that, like, yeah, but he's also lived forever. So he's done cool action movie shit, killing Nazis. And he's yeah, had yeah, yeah. silly drunken <laughs> duels where he can't be killed because he's immortal and he just gets pissed and yeah. winds people up. You know, like <laughs> those flesh him out yeah. so much more beyond just the, the yeah. tragic um, Heather backstory. Yes, yeah, yeah. And what's the line in that one? It's um, it makes his apology so bad because he, he actually says something like, "I'm sorry, I called your wife a bloated warthog yeah. just before you <laughs> yeah. <came>. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a great line. But I feel like his his relationships are a weird one as well because then he has the whole relationship with Brenda, which doesn't seem. I don't know. It's sort of like Brenda's a funny character because she's supposed to be our yeah. way into finding out who Connor is. But yeah. all of that storytelling is being told throughout the flashbacks. Yes. So it's kind of like it's she's like an extra layer to everything. I suppose she gives yeah. like the happy ending. But how did you feel about yes. her and sort of those scenes with Connor? I think, as you say, it's, it's, a, it's an odd thing to have her in. It's almost like we need some exposition in the film. So we'll have someone in the present day that's giving us that, that Connor can explain who he is to. But we already know that. It's almost like they did think of it as two films. We're going to do this film in 1986, and it's about this immortal. And at some point, we've got to say about his life, so we'll have Brenda to do that. And then later on, they went, eh, maybe we could just do some flashbacks through the whole film that actually tells that story as well, but they've kept both storylines together. Um, I like her. I think, as I said earlier, that I think that it shows this side of Connor that he wants to have a life. Mm. And, you know... This, they keep hearing the bits of the Ramirez over the background of, you know, you've got to let her go, Connor, or you've got to leave her, um, as being the advice that he was always given when he, he's going to fall in love sort of thing. So you know from that that he's thinking about Brenda the same way as he thought about Heather. And we know that Heather was the one true love of his life, that he's lived all her life with her up to her death of what we think are natural causes, I guess, because she just seems to be very old at that point. So, yeah, I, I, I do like that relationship that's built up that kind of gives him a reason to live when he's up against the Kurgan. So it's not just revenge. He wants to get through this because he wants to have his life. Yeah. I think um, that 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 sub that B plot of her kind of doing her investigation work and uncovering him, which as you say is basically unnecessary because of the way the story's told. <laughs> what, what it does give Brenda is just a bit more agency in the film and it just makes her a bit more yeah. of an interesting character. Like yeah. the way the storytelling works, which I love, all the flashbacks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, the easiest way to tell the story is then that 
that Connor tells Brenda about himself and she learns it by being told. But she's a more yeah. interesting character and a more compelling um, romantic lead if she goes off and does it herself and works it out herself and uses her resources and her colleagues at the police station, all of that. You know, it just makes yeah. her a more, it just makes her a better character. And I do think, you yeah. know, we, we listed off all the performances that we love. We should give a shout out to Roxanne Hart because I think she's actually really compelling, which is quite difficult because, like, a lot of their relationship is really creepy with the kind of stalking <laughs> her and then they end up together. Like, yeah. It, it, yeah. it takes a lot for those actors to actually sell the romance when the sort of yeah. bare bones of their romance is a bit weird. Hmm. Also, well, yeah, like, yeah, it's pretty- He's the ultimate older man, isn't he? Yeah. As well, yeah, it's and Angel like his, Buffy, isn't it? And his, yeah, and his daughter as well is like older than her, but like in a yeah. whole different way. It's just yeah, yeah, there's all that element which you just can't think about in order to no, make no, the it, film work. It's best not to. Yeah, I mean, even the creepy way that you know the first meeting in her or the meeting in her house where he goes round, and the fact that she's you know she's got the gun, she's got the tape recorder going, she's got the other police outside checking that he's not doing any dodgies it's 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 a weird way to start a relationship yeah. That. <laughs> yeah but he seems quite happy to share his very old cognac with her um <laughs> and have his reminiscence about the how it was a really good year that one um yeah, yeah. And that's one the same of the perks year, of being an immortal that's the same year as <laughs> yeah. duel isn't it yes i think so yeah yeah i think it goes back to that yeah 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 there's lots of good stuff like that what I mean, have you got any favourite favourite scenes that kind of stick in your mind as being your favourites in it? And... I think I just liked all of the Kurgan scenes. Like every <laughs> time he's on screen, like all of his interaction with other characters as well is just so sort of menacing. And like when he's just driving around in his car and he's playing like his heavy metal and just and seeing him as this sort of like heavy metal rock guy in the present compared to what Mm. he was before and just seeing how his he basically hasn't changed in like thousands of years or hundreds of years or whatever it is like he's still the same person so i I liked all of that and all the fleshing out there yeah for me it's um it's the non highlands flashbacks i I do i like the highlands flashbacks but yeah the necessary backstory yeah but the um the the world war ii and the 1700s duel just they're really fun scenes and they add that yeah. that vital extra characterization of McLeod, which is that he he's yeah. he's more than just his core backstory that's important but he's he's lived he's lived all this time and you need to get a sense for yeah. that to really get a feel for the yeah. character so you know it's a lot to squeeze in it's it's two hours oh, yeah. but there's, there's lots to get in to, to convey this sense of immortality um, and those yeah. two scenes do it quite deftly, I think, because there's, there's a lot of yeah. space chronologically between them and his original Highland story. So you're covering a good span of time to give a sense of time passing. And they're just fun yeah. scenes as well. Mm. Yeah. I must admit, I wish when they did the TV series that what they'd done was they'd gone back to Connor and actually showed his life through time up till 86 and done that with it. And you could have still had him fighting an immortal every week, which is pretty much what the series did. Um, but actually not overwrite the end of Highlander, which is pretty much what the TV series does. Have you either have you watched any of the TV series? No. I mean, or... let's talk about 
the the rest of the franchise then sequels spin-offs etc but let's start with i've got plenty to say about some the one that i've seen but yeah let's start with that the the series because i've heard the series is quite good but i've never seen any of it 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 is i mean it it focuses on um duncan mcleod of the clan mcleod who happens to be a distant cousin of connor perfect yeah it's really weird that uh, two of them in the same family happen to be um immortals um but he's, uh, it starts with him in, I think he's in France. He lives in a canal boat in France, but he's an antique dealer again, obviously. Um, he's basically Connor. Um, and it's kind of, it's almost, it's, it's Immortal of the Week, effectively. You start off the show with a flashback to Duncan meeting an immortal back in past sometime. Um, they have a fight, neither of them win, and then you flash to the four, the present time and that immortal is coming to get Duncan right. and that's pretty much the way the formula went through I think I watched the first two series and I think there was another three or four after that um, so it was pretty much that all the way through so is it as as is it see. roughly the same setup as the film that if immortals kill each other they gain their power and it's sort of Absolutely. pre, pre yeah. the quickening of the film but yeah but the problem problem is in the pilot the first episode um christopher lambert's in it right and they mention the fact that he killed the kirkham okay so duncan mcleod says to Connor mcleod you know oh it's like your fight against the kirkham back in new york (laughs) and you're like so he's won the prize yeah so who the hell are you why are there still immortals around if that was the gathering and that was the prize so they kind of already have retconned the end of Highlander, which is the, the worst thing that the series did, and it, it, it only gets worse if you want to go through the rest <laughs> of the franchises. <laughs> yeah, so I, the only other, so I've only seen the first two films. Um, yeah. So I suppose the TV show retconning the end of, you know, th- there's plenty of retcons needing to be done, not yes. needing to be done, yes. and also needing to be done in the Highlander film series. Yeah. The second, yeah. I, I, I love the second film. James, have you seen the second one? <laughs> Yeah, not for a long time. I I got it from a charity shop when I was at uni, <laughs> and was watching it on VHS. But yeah, I can't oh. remember anything. I remember like weird, like hedgehog people and flying hoverboards, flying, yeah, and just yep. madness. Yeah. yeah, God, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the tip of the iceberg. Well, but, <laughs> the thing is, I, I I remember seeing it at the cinema because I when they said Highlander Two was coming out, already Highlander fan. Of course, and yeah. Con- Connery and Lambert had been on television saying, it's the best script ever. We would never have come oh. back if it wasn't a good script. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's got to be good then. And I went to the cinema, saw it. And I, do you know what? I had a good time, but I left it thinking, that wasn't high. <laughs> what, was, what was that all about? Yeah. You know, 500 years ago on the planet Zeist, these guys get convicted of a crime and sent to Earth to be immortals to fight each other till the death to win a prize. Oh what? what? How does that work out? Totally <laughs> insane. Totally insane. I've, I've never seen a more bonkers sequel. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. I love I love a yeah. bad movie, yeah. but like a really balls-to-the-wall bad movie. And it is one of the best of that Absolutely. specific type of genre. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, it, it fits perfectly into your podcast because it is sci-fi yeah. now. Because obviously they're from the planet Zeist, which is yeah. why they're immortal. But it's the worst um, elements of that dy- film are the sci-fi elements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're living in a dystopian society. That's true, that's true. I, We're I doing dystopias this series. Um, where the, the sort of 
company who Connors worked for having gained the prize to build this shield over the earth to save us from the ozone layer that's disappearing because obviously at that point in time we all thought we were going to die from the ozone layer disappearing um and it's about the fight against that dystopian society as well as these immortals that have come back from Zeist because they don't like the fact that the prize has been won it's it's God. it's so <laughs> mad it's such a strange mixture of very faithful to the first one which is which is like <laughs> what connor does with the prize which is actually which mm. is logical you know the way he helps humanity yes um it makes yeah. sense you you can't go down the um is it duncan mcleod from the series you can't go down the duncan yeah. mcleod route without retconning it so that is very faithful. Yeah. But then all of that is mixed in with this incredibly uh, strange retconning with the aliens. Like, it, it's, yes. oh, it's, it, it's pure madness. Yeah. It's how do they, how do the, they come back? From, sorry, did you want to... No, I was just saying that they missed the, the biggest trick at the end. Because at the end, they bring down the shield that's obviously been up around the Earth for however many years. And everyone's been living in perpetual darkness all that time. And they do it at night. <laughs> yeah. So they bring down the shield. No one's seen the sun for hundreds of years or whatever it is, and it's still dark. Perfect. Why didn't they just have a beautiful sunshine <laughs> come through? And it would have been a much happier ending, but no, they don't oh. do that. They have nighttime still, and they go, oh, look, stars. Mad. <laughs> and there's, there's a third one as well, isn't there? A third Highlander. There's a fourth one and is a there? fifth one. Oh, my God. Yeah. The third one retcons... Well, it doesn't. It happens between... Highlander and Highlander 2. That's clever. Yeah. So the third one works on the principle that there was a an immortal who was frozen somehow inside rock <laughs> by a great sorcerer <laughs> back in Yuldi days. <laughs> and somehow, Connor winning the prize breaks him free because he is now one of the only immortals left. And it's then about him having the fight with Connor to win the prize again. Uh, um, I think that's that's called the Sorcerer because he's got magic. So there's magic in that one. So oh, that's going back to magic. the sort of, yeah, going back to the roots a bit more with that one. Yeah. And then um, yeah. High, Highlander 4 is called Endgame. And this brings together the TV series and the film because ah. Duncan's in this one. And it completely then destroys Highlander 2. <laughs> Because Connor dies <laughs> before before um, the uh, the events of Highlander two. Still right, okay, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So um, Connor's d- dies at the end of this one, and Duncan wins the prize. Um, so <laughs> he's the last immortal, and not Connor. So it's kind of like a really bizarre yeah. right. We just you know everything we did before. Forget that we're doing. Yeah, something people didn't like it. Let's now. switch it up. Yeah, and then the fifth one is called The Source, and this is now Duncan MacLeod trying to work out why they were immortals in the first <laughs> place. And it takes place in a post-apocalyptic landscape. It's like Mad Max meets Highlander. Um, I haven't seen it properly. I saw <laughs> properly. bits of it. Yeah. I saw bits of it and kind of went, nah, I don't think I'll bother. Yeah. I think I watched Endgame because I'd kind of not watched all of the Highlander series and thought, oh, it's finishing. I'll watch this finale. Because I think Endgame was basically, we're finishing the series, we're going to do this as a movie version as the, the finale. And I don't think it was ever a theatrical release. It was it was oh, a TV okay. release only. Yeah. There was, um, but that was kind of them finishing the series. There was an animated series as well. Mm. I watched loads of that before there I was. had any idea what Highlander yeah. was. I was really into that when I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, back in the 90s. Yeah. 
But the an- the animated series is, takes place in the future. Yeah, as that's well. like post apocalypse. And Connor's in it. No, Connor. Connor, the, is he? I'm sure. He's, I'm sure he's I've not seen the main a, character. A, I think the main character might be Duncan no. or another McLeod. I think Ramirez is in it as well. I'm I'm sure I saw a, a, a cartoon version of Connor that was from that anime. He might series. have been. He he wasn't a big character if he's in it. No, it's um. I can't. There's like an anime version as well, isn't there? Which oh, has like yeah. They've got so many <laughs> versions. It's just like well, how can we perpetuate this franchise? Yeah. Let's keep going. Well. They even had a, a Highland of the Raven. What's that? Was a fe- that was a female immortal that was in the Highlander TV series who got her own spin-off TV show for one series, which followed the same format as Highlander TV series. You know, oh. <laughs> immortal of the week fights against female immortal, and you know <laughs> they eventually kill each other. But it was just a different thing that they, they were doing. Going, do you know what? We need a female fighter here, so let's yeah. go. There were female immortals as well. They've- because I wow. think there's only the one ever in the whole thing. Which <laughs> there can is be only one. Girl, they call the Raven. The only one. Yeah. <laughs> they've, yeah. they've got. They guess, there's so many immortals. They've got so many immortals out of this concept of there can be only one. Like yeah. they've just. They've, <laughs> but that's. I mean, that's franchise longevity for you, isn't it? Like, the, oh, yeah. the power to yeah. just embrace the retcon and just be like, well, guess what? There's another yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, and they, they have they've they've compl- I mean the whole the first film I think as we said earlier it was meant yeah. as a one off, and you can tell because it's got a proper arc. You can see where it's come from, where it's going to. It's all about winning the prize. He wins the prize. Everyone else stared. He is the only one. Bah, finished. And then someone's gone. <laughs> Should yeah. we do a sequel? <laughs> <laughs> the you couldn't get Queen thing. back. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> but I mean, like franchises and sequels aside, let's talk about yeah. this one and like how how do we think it holds up all these years later? Was it 36 years since yeah. it was released? Like, Gav, how do you feel about watching it now compared to when you watched it when you were a 15 year old? Do you know what? I, I still loved it. It was still a really good switch your brain off, just watch and have a good time. But there were just. Elements of the special effects, I suppose, don't hold up. They're a bit weird. And you can see the wires holding Connor up at the end. Um, but I think the only, the only thing that really ages is the computer technology. There's that wonderful bit where they, they get all the letters of the names of everyone that's had the building that Russell Nash or Connor now lives yeah. in. And they work out his signature from the bits. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's such a... A dodgy little bit of animation that actually you couldn't do on a computer in yeah. 86 anyway. I love the way that <laughs> Which the signature now, moves but... <laughs> around before it quite hits the target of Russell Nash. Like it's got to find <laughs> yeah. the right it's thinking yeah. about it. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that kind of just puts it exactly where it is in 1986, that it's not quite right. You know, the green text on the black background that we all had back then. But I think as an action fantasy movie, yeah, it holds up. I can't see why you wouldn't watch it now and go, yeah, that that was just a good laugh. And that was fun. And I enjoyed that. And I've gone away with a bit of a smile on my face because you know what? It's got a happy ending. So, yeah, I think it does hold up as long as you can look over the dodgy special effects applications and the computers. Yeah, I didn't find any of that too bad, to be honest, because I found no. it like it's like it's just when it was made and it's quite yeah. like endearing as well just all that kind of stuff that is of of the time period and yeah 
for me it's no different than when you watch like you watch like blade runner and they've got like yeah. the zoom in computers and things like that it's all just part of the world and yeah yeah but yeah you're right essentially it's just a fun cult adventure film with fantasy yeah. thrown in it's like you just have to go along for the ride and not think about it too much and yeah. you enjoy the fight sequences and everything else I don't, I don't think there's anything that's sort of politically incorrect in it. I didn't, as I was watching, I didn't think that oh, that, that doesn't sit nicely now. Oh, Matt, Matt's got a few. Had you? What did you spot? Uh, not... There is the uh, a completely unnecessary reference to a Vietnamese person eating a dog. Um, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally yeah, yeah, unnecessary. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah true, there's sorry. a few <laughs> things. I mean, it's set in the 1500s, so you can't really get too yeah. mad about it. But, but the way they talk to the women in the 1500s, it's not great. But was that not how they talk to women in the 1500s? Sure. So well, is yes. that not just yeah. sting almost true to history? <laughs> yeah. and <laughs> It's historically accurate. And I was also, I mean, we talked about it a little bit with like the way that, that um, Connor and Brenda first meet, where he follows her around mm. a parking yeah. lot and then to a bar bit weird <laughs> does he follow around the parking lot or is that not sorry just yeah yeah they, he hides from she her, happens to but he be follows there. her to the bar yeah he does follow the bar super yeah. weird yeah but it's yeah it is yeah but i guess he's trying to get information about the case that yeah. she's on because she knows that he's she's gone there to try and find him yeah it's fine we'll, i'm trying to i'm trying to we'll talk them. all of those things up to the quickening <laughs> it was, it was like the quickening, quickening yeah, yeah. The sun yeah. rose. <laughs> I do, I agree. I do think it holds up. Apart from, the, I had a few quibbles, but yeah, I think it holds up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Great. so Gav, I mean, this is the big moment. You've been getting your guests to do this every episode, and it's hard, man. We I had to do it for Warley. James had to do it for Planet of the Apes. But I don't care about that. I don't care how hard it is. Sell this film in thirty seconds. Okay, if you want a good action film with lots of sword fighting, lightning, quickening, <laughs> and Scottish people. Forget about the sequels. Don't lose your head. There can be only one. That's pretty good. Very well done. Nice. Nice. You wrapped it all up in the end with that infamous <laughs> line. This, this is why this is Gav's podcast, because he can he can nail yeah, it in one. Play. That was, well, that was well, well in the 30 seconds. Yeah. Thanks. I haven't even got that written down. That's straight from the top of my head. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Well, this has been fun. Uh, thank brilliant. you so much for, for having us on again. Yes. Um, no, thank you for coming on and, and interviewing well, me, yeah. which has been a very <laughs> strange thing. <laughs> Glad to give you the opportunity to talk about your favourite film. Um, just before we go then, you guys, do you want to just say anything about where we can find you on social media, that type of thing, what you've got going on at the moment? Yeah, so uh, we are Journey Through Sci-Fi. We are collectively Journey Through Sci-Fi, the podcast. So if you search on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that, search for Journey Through Sci-Fi and you'll be able to find us there. Um, We're a weekly sci-fi podcast. Um, We're currently on our fifth series. We're looking at dystopias. So yeah, please do come and check out our show. Fab, thanks very much for that then. Thanks very much, boys. Cheers, Gav. Cheers, Gav. Now, pendejo, shall we see what sort of swordsman you've become? Thank you again, Matt and James, for coming along to do that very, very special episode of the podcast with me. It was a really good chat. I really enjoyed it. I hope all you did at home as well. Okay. Believe it or not, that's pretty much it. That is the last interview that I'm going to do for Series 1. It's the last interview I'm going to do on my own, even though I didn't actually do this one, I suppose. But there you go. 
as of Series 2, I'll be joined here on the podcast by my new regular host, Gary Coleman, who you may remember from January's first episode, which was when Harry met Sally. You could go back and have a listen to that if you wanted to hear more about Gary. Next time, though, it will be me on my own, and I'm just going to go through the 22 films that I have covered during the 23 episodes of the series. Yeah, there was a Halloween episode in there that myself and Mike Munzer talked about an awful lot of films, and I'm going to miss those ones out. So, just going to go through the 22 episodes that I've talked about in spoilerific detail with my guests over the last however many weeks that is. I hope you can join me for that next time. Until then, from me, bye-bye. This is the quickening! Finally, thanks to Acast for hosting the website and to Max Smith for the theme tune composition. To get in touch with the podcast, remember that website is www.myfavoritefilm.com. Thank you.